You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Glad to have you here tonight. And uh, we are in the middle of a series on humility. And so we're going to get right into this series here tonight on humility. And this is not... Um, Uh, This is not a series that you run the aisles on, so to speak. Uh, That's all right, though. This is one that cuts deep to the heart, cuts deep to the soul. And I think it is uh, something that uh, every one of us deal with on a daily basis. So at least maybe you're better than me, but I deal with this on a daily basis. And we are looking at A little bit last week, we looked at the priority of humility, and we're calling it the first virtue, the first virtue. And so these are some of some things that God has given to us first. These are necessities. This is not an option. We have to have humility in our life. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to humility, um, ultimately. It's not just the good news of Jesus Christ, but it's the good news that we can be a part of his kingdom, and you can't access that without humility. And so we need the Holy Ghost to help us tonight because this isn't just another series. I don't, I don't just want to take notes tonight just to fill up the notebook. I don't just want to pass the time. Uh, I don't just want to read off a bunch of verses so we can say, hey, we, we had Bible study tonight, but we want this to get into our heart and into our spirit because this impacts everything. So I'm going to ask you if you'd write where you're sitting, just bow your head and pray with me and ask the Lord to Open up your heart and understanding to his word. Would you do that tonight? Join with me, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, I give you glory and honor tonight. I thank you for your presence, and I thank you for the church. I thank you for your word tonight. And I ask in these next few moments, let the power of the Holy Ghost have your way, God, in in the powerful truths that your word teaches. I pray you would change us, change our lives, and impact us, encourage us, and strengthen us tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Amen. Uh, we'll, we'll jump right in here tonight, and I want to take you to uh, Ecclesiastes verse, uh, let's see, chapter 12 and verse number 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13. And tonight, this will be our text for the evening as we're going through the series. Uh, Last week, we started with Micah, uh, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And then we went to uh, Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I am humble. Learn of me. He's letting us know that there are things we need to learn. So tonight, I want to go to one of these summary verses because that's what Micah's verse is in Micah chapter 6 and 8 where he says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. He said, this is all the Lord requires of me. He was reducing everything down to one verse. And there's a few places in the Bible where um, I call them summary verses. This is my own word, my own definition, a summary verse. And this is another summary verse. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse 13. So for those of you that are reading, how many are reading through your Bible this year? Or you're just, you're reading your Bible. Amen. All right. Awesome. That's good, right? Just, that's a good start. So you're just reading your Bible. So as you study, you're going to see things all throughout. But then there are 
a few verses that you can highlight, you can, you can keystone, you can put them out there, that if you just get this, you're going to get everything else. If you just get this. And here it comes down, the wise man says in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I think sometimes we can complicate our life. We can, we can make our life more complex than it needs to be, and we can throw things on ourselves. We can put too much on ourselves. I, I'm guilty of doing that. Everybody that knows me well tells me I'm guilty of doing that. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to have this just right. Got to have this just right. You got to have all of these things. And here's what the wisest man that ever lived, he writes this book, Ecclesiastes. He talks about the vanity of life. He goes through everything, the ups and downs. It is really a study in logic, reason, philosophy, if you will, willpower, purpose, meaning, this short book of just a few chapters. And at the very end, he brings everything down to one verse. And he really brings it down to one phrase. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you're not fearing God, if you're not keeping your, his commandments, then you're missing the whole of everything. If you're doing these things then you, you, you've got, you've already, you're already achieving, let's say, what the whole of Scripture is teaching us. Fear God, keep His commandments. Now, this word fear God is sometimes misunderstood because uh, we don't use the word fear today in our modern uh, vernacular the same way it was used in an old English sense when uh, the King James Version was written where we get this uh, phrase from, fear God, to fear God, fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Well, truly to fear God, it's not just to have um, a fear as in a terror of the Lord, like you're afraid from the Lord, but to have an understanding, a, an acknowledgement, really a revelation, to live in a revelation of who God is and when you see who God is, you can automatically know who you are. Because when you see who God is, you realize, first thing you realize is, that's not me. And I'm the one in need of a Savior. I'm the one in need of help. And so you, you, you are left with the reality. We, we said this last week. Uh, when you put ego aside, you are left with what is real. When you push ego aside, remember last week we talked about pride is the problem. We went through all of that, how pride is the problem of everything. If you have, uh, if you have failure in your life, pride's going to be there. If you have uh, contention and strife in your life, pride is going to be at the crime scene. Okay? If you have, if you have uh, uh, certain issues in your life, pride's going to show up in the autopsy. This was the real reason why the relationships did not work. This is the real reason. Pride is the problem, always the problem. So we talked about getting rid of ego. When you get rid of ego, you are left with what is real. You get rid of ego and you realize, okay, here, here, here I am, bear. We talked about, uh, we talked about uh, who was it? Aaron, the, 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 
brother of Moses. He was, he was established as high priest. And before they go into the promised land, God tells Moses, take Aaron up on the mountain. Somebody else, it's somebody else's turn. It's somebody else's time to be the high priest, to be the one that serves to go forth. And he took him up on that mountain. And there on that mountain, he stripped him of all of his priestly garments, all of the linen ephods, all of the, the, the breastplate of righteousness that had all the crowns and all the golden things he had, all the incredible embroidered stuff, all these garments that became his identity at the end of his life. All of that was stripped away, and Aaron was literally left naked and bare before God. This is what happens when you remove ego. You are left before God. You're left saying, God, here I am. What does it mean to fear God? It means, and, and, and this is my trying to help you understand this, but what it means to fear God is to live in the reality of who you are and who he is. He's God and I am not. My pastor used to say that all the time. He's God and you are not. The problem is when we start playing God. That's where the problems come. The problem comes when we start, when we start being God. Then we can, we can make a mess of everything. Amen? We, we, we got to be real here tonight. There is no perfect church. We are, we are people that need a Savior. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And we got to remember that this is God's church. He's the one that came down and died. He's the one that chooses who gets redeemed, who gets forgiven, who gets saved, who gets a second and a third and a fourth and a 500th chance. It's not me. So I can't play God. I can't pick and choose, Brother Carraway. It's God's church. I, I, I can't hold grudges. I can't be upset. I can't be envious. Anybody understand what I'm saying here? So fearing God is living in this reality of knowing who you are and who God is, to fear God and keep his commandments. For This is the whole duty of man. Let's, let's go back and... We were touching on a couple of things, and one thing we said is that we wanted to acknowledge this, that humility in your life, humility in my life will never happen on its own. You will not wake up tomorrow in a wonderful, blissful, humble state. That's not, not going to happen. This is something you have to work at. This is something you have to do. This is what God has called us to. Pride is always the problem. We talk about all of that stuff. And the, the remedy begins, all of the remedies in our life begin with humility alone. You will never get to the solution. You will never get to the answer without humility. Pick the problem. Pick your poison, as they say. Relationships, finances, uh, whatever it is. Pride is, is usually always the problem there. Pride is always the issue there. Pride can be the issue for laziness. I'm not doing that because I'm too good to do that. That's somebody else ought to do that. And so pride is the issue there. So humility is the solution to every single problem. So we, we finished, I think, last week there. Did we get to humility with God? We're going to humility with God. We got to humility with God. Okay, what verse did we end at? Do we know? We got past the second slide? Okay, so humility with God. He's, go, go to that, ver, that quote real quick, just, just so we can. Humility with God. 
He sees that humility is simply, and this is a quote from Andrew Murray. He's talking about those who possess humility, the one, the believer who has humility. He sees that humility is simply acknowledging the truth of his position as creature and yielding to God his place. This is living in the fear of God. I'm simply acknowledging the truth of my position as creature and yielding to God his place. When we are humble, God becomes all in all. Let me say that again. When we are humble, God becomes all in all. He cannot be our everything if we reserve a portion of our life for ourselves. Or in another way, we have a portion of our life where we say, God, I don't need you. He can't be our everything. He's only all in all when we truly are humble before him. So if, you know, God, I need your help here and God, I need your help here, we compartmentalize our life sometimes when we come to the Lord. We come to the Lord. Sometimes we're drawn to the Lord because we have uh, a need. That need could be financial. It could be devastating relations. It could be a tragedy. It could be grief. It could be finances. We call out. We come to the church. Call the pastor. Call people. Hey, pray. This is the need. We come to God for that. And we are surrendering a portion of our life to God for that. But what God is interested in doing is not just healing your body. God is not concerned necessarily with healing your body as much as he is with healing your soul. God is not concerned about paying your bills as he is about paying the debt of sin in your life. God will heal your body so that you know he can heal your soul. God will pay your bills so you know that God can pay the debt of sin in your life. But God cannot be all in all until we humble ourselves and truly say, God, I need you in everything. I need you every day. I need you in every way, every part of my heart. Does that make sense? I don't just need you in a certain part of my life. God, I need you in every part of my life. And if we hold on to things and say, God, well, no, I don't need you here. I'm, I'm good here. I've got this covered. God, I'm successful in this area of my life. And, and be careful, pride is so cunning. What is it that you're good at? What is it that you've done in life? What is it you could say, well, you know, I did pretty good on that. I did, I did pretty good on that. I, I've got this. I'm okay. I've, I've never necessarily, maybe, maybe there's certain areas of your life where you haven't brought things to the Lord and said, okay, God, I, I need you to help me in this area. I'm pretty good at that. Pride is so cunning because it will make you think, all right, you've got this. So, so you're successful in whatever the area is of your life. And if you're not careful, you will not surrender that area of your life to God because of your success. Humility comes to God and says, God, here it is, every area of my life. I'm surrendering it to you. God, I'm nothing. Isn't it, it, pride is cunning because pride, you won't even know this. Pride masks itself, arrogance comes in. And all of a sudden, we can be arrogant. We can be arrogant in the church. We can be arrogant uh, um, in, in things that we have done in our life. And if we're not careful, that, that arrogance, man, it, it, it will suck the life out of things. It, it, it's a rottenness that comes, but it's only in humility that surrenders everything. Humility 
never forget where we are really, truly. You've heard me joke. You've heard me joke sometimes. And I'll talk about how when God blesses us, you get so excited and you start coming to church, you start thinking you're something. And you've heard me say, you know, God, God cleans you up a little bit and all of a sudden you, all four hubcaps on your car match. And you're coming to church saying, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm not bad. Now, maybe you don't have hubcaps, or maybe you've never driven a car where all four hubcaps didn't match. But I've done that. Come on. I've driven cars that didn't have hubcaps. They were supposed to. I was a regular customer at Hubcap Heaven for a while when I was a teenager. Every pothole I'd hit, there goes another hubcap. There it is. So I'm just putting them on there, man. And all of a sudden, things are working out, and you... You know, you upgrade and you start feeling a little bit better about yourself and man, thinking. And humility says, if it had not been for the Lord, if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? Pride walks into church saying, look at what God's done to me, and it comes in and it looks for the open seat, and then it takes the seat that is more preferential. Humility walks into the church and it sees the person in need. Maybe they don't. Lord, help us. Maybe they don't smell as wonderful. Because there's, there's things in their life that are glaringly obvious that they are hurting and that they are suffering from. And when you talk to them, they may knock you over. But humility says, if it had not been for the grace of God. And humility walks over, and, and, and when it's time to pray for one another, humility says, hey, I'm going to go over, I'm going to love this person, and I'm going to say, hey, it's so great to have you. I'm so glad that you were here. What a, what a joy it is to have you today, and to treat that person the same as if somebody pulled up with a fancy car and looks like they've got it all together. We all want to shake the hand of that person, but be careful that pride doesn't come in, because humility... Humility is really where it's at. Pride is so deceptive. We've got to have humility with God. God becomes our all in all. In Psalm 111 and 10, he said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot even claim wisdom in your life unless the first virtue of humility is present in your life. The fear of the Lord. You want wisdom. Wisdom begins with humility. We don't teach that in our culture anymore. That's a lost truth. That's a lost principle in today's Western mentality. Because today, it's about achievement. It's about accomplishment. It's about success. It's about strength. It's dog eat dog in the corporate world. It's about look at what I can do. It's about your resume. It's about showing everybody else. It's about making yourself look good. That's how you get ahead. That's how you succeed. And the word of God comes along and undercuts all of that. How dare the word of God not regard our cultural ethics today? And he says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That humility will take you farther than posting all your accomplishments. Pride is so cunning, we're not even, we're caught off guard. We, we don't even realize what we're doing. Social media is not a, about helping other people. 
It's mostly about promotion of self. Can I tell you, social media without being redeemed by the gospel and love of God is the worst thing that you could be a part of. You catch what I say? It's not bad. It it can have benefits. It can have blessings. But without the love of God, without the grace of God, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, social media can become just you trying to prove to the rest of the world how great you are. I'm better at this. I'm better at that. But I thank God that God is able to redeem. God's able to use anything for his glory. And so I don't think that we should run away from those things and say, well, I can never do that. No, I'm going to say we can be a light a city set on the hill in the midst of everything. But when we get on there, don't do self-promotion. Don't selfie yourself giving the homeless man $20. Hello? All right? Is this all right tonight? Is this okay? Humility. Humility is something that's got to be real, and this is the beginning of wisdom. Who wants to be wise? Man, I want to be wise. I really want to be wise. The reason why I want to be wise is because I've made enough unwise choices in my life that I don't want to do those anymore. I want to be wise. And so the word of God tells me that it's the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. Humility is the beginning. In Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You, 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 it doesn't even matter what you know if you haven't got this. If you can't get this, all the books I have in my library I should burn and throw away. They're useless. If I can quote from them, if I can't live this in my heart, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how much you know when you walk to the pulpit, if you're coming from a point of pride, you'll never be able to minister to somebody and to help someone. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Jesus Christ who knew everything. And yet he came as a servant, not as a king, not as a Lord. We're going to look at that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9 and 10. And the first virtue we read here in Ecclesiastes, the whole matter, the whole matter of life is fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, we could, we could spend time, I, I won't, here, but fear God and keep his commandments. I want you to pay, pay note. Maybe you can do your own study on this. But note that along with humility comes obedience. You cannot have humility without obedience, and you cannot have obedience without humility. Fear God and keep his commandments. You can't say, you cannot truly convince yourself that you are living humbly before the Lord, and yet you know in your conscience that there are things in the word of God or principles and truths in the spirit of the Lord that you are not abiding by. You cannot truly say, I'm standing humbly in the fear of the Lord. But if I am living in the fear of the Lord, then I am a partaker of his commandments. I obey his commandments. If I truly am in right relationship, standing in the fear of God, humble before God, I recognize my position. 
if I really have the revelation of who he is and who I am, I'm going to obey every single thing he says. I'm not even going to question what he says. Now, I may like to figure out the whys. I may want to know the reasons because that's the mind that God built me with. I, I may want to figure out the processes of why that works, but it's foolish for me to stand here and argue with God. And God say, okay, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to do. This is how I want you to be. Well, God, you know what? Is this really necessary? That never comes from a posture of humility. It only comes from a posture of pride. You feel the tug of the Lord. You feel the tug of God's Spirit, a tug. Maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's an altar call. Maybe the sermon was preaching to you. Maybe it was something there. God is drawing you. Maybe it was a challenge that went forth. Maybe it was just something. Maybe it was a missionary uh, service, and God was speaking to you about giving something up. And all of a sudden, in your heart and in my mind and in my heart, we start saying, well, God, I, I don't have to do that. You know I love you. We're good. That does not come from a place of humility. It comes from a place of pride. Humility is the first virtue. If you really, really want to have revival in your life, if I really want to have revival in my life, I've got to walk in humility. In humility, I'm going to know, God, you know what's best. In humility, I'm not waiting to question God. I'm waiting for the next word God says so that I can do what he says. I may not understand. I want to understand it all. But in humility, I'm quicker to do what he's asked me to do than I am to understand what he asked me to do because I want to reap the benefits of what God has for me quicker than I understand it all. You say, well, I don't understand it all. You know what I don't understand? I don't understand how God could redeem me, how God could wipe away my sin. I don't understand how I could go in a watery grave and come up and all of a sudden it was just water. It was just a few people at a church that night, but it was like there was a burden that was lifted up off of my shoulders. A weight of guilt was taken. I don't understand that but I'm living with the benefits of his goodness. I don't understand. You say, I don't understand all the commandments of the Lord. That's right. And I don't understand all the blessings of the Lord, but I'm still enjoying them. And I don't want to put a blessing on hold until God explains it to me. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and keep on keeping on. You want to figure it out your own way, that's all right. But humility says, God, I I understand who I am. And here I am. Let's go on. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. What a familiar verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's not just prayer. 
It's not just seeking God's face, but you've got to have humility. When we gather together in prayer, when you kneel down in prayer in your own accord, you don't pray with pride. Pride doesn't get you anywhere, but when you kneel down in humility, you kneel down before God. When you come to God in prayer, you come in humility. You cannot come in pride or God will not hear you. He tells that in the book of Isaiah. He tells him, he said, he said I, I have, this is, God has a sense of humor and he, he's descriptive. And so Isaiah says, the Lord says, he's not listening to your prayers. Literally, he used the analogy, sticking his fingers in his ears. He's not listening to your prayers. He's not receiving your sacrifices because it's a stench. There's no humility in it. Humility has to be there. It's the first virtue. It's the prerequisite for your prayers to be answered. Without humility, there is no true prayer. Without humility, there is no true repentance. Without humility, there is no true prayer. And without humility, there is no true repentance. Humility is not just a nice thing. It's the main thing. You've got to have it. Go with me to Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18, and here is the story of the Pharisee and the publican in verse number 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Let's pause here and just look at this verse. He tells a parable unto certain now, he's telling a parable, but he's talking to people. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those that trust in themselves, those that say they're righteous, those that despise others. What is this? This is a pride. Why would you trust in yourselves? This is not confidence. This is arrogance. We don't need God. They, they rejected the Messiah. They, they turned their nose up to the fulfillment of Hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy walking in flesh among them because of pride. Two men, he goes on, now he gives a parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a, a, a sinner, a, a Gentile. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. Now, this is not the Pharisee standing and posting his prayer on Facebook. Look at what he said. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. This is not about the public prayer of the Pharisee getting up there and, and praying. This is about the Pharisee over here at the wall, at the, at the place, wherever, silently praying to God and sincerely saying, God, I thank you that you made me not as these. I fast twice a week. I do all of this stuff. And the publican, he says, stands afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. Now, I can't really recreate this scene for you, but if we were to take a moment and just try in our own mental exercise to work this out, 
this would have been the most appalling thing that Jesus as a uh, rabbi, a Jew, a teacher, teaching the Pharisees could have said. Because what he did was he elevated a publican, a, a, a sinner, a common Gentile. He elevated him above a Pharisee who, they said, is fasting twice a week, who's paying tithe of everything that they possess, going beyond the call that is required of them. And when they're coming in, they're just coming into the house of worship with a disposition of pride. Now, let me ask you this. Is it possible for us today in 2020 to be the Pharisee? To walk in and say, God, I thank you that I fast. I thank you, God, that I pay tithe of everything that I've done. God, I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. I'm not. God, I thank you. And the Pharisee's just there praying his own prayer. He, he wasn't looking, but the publican comes in, and there he is. He's not even praying right. Doesn't he know how you're supposed to pray? If you've ever been to... Israel, and you go to the Western Wall, or as many call the Wailing Wall, you know that there is procedure, there is ritual, there's, there's certain protocols. The men and the women don't pray together. When the men go in, they, they take the yarmulke and they put it on their head and they go down and they stand there and they stand at the wall and they pray. There, there are procedures, there's expectations of prayer, of what's expected. And here the Pharisee is in the temple praying with expectations and here comes along a publican. He's not even a, he's not even a, com, a convert. He's not even converted yet. This is what this means. He's not even converted to the place of, of doing everything that God has asked of him. He just comes in in his sorry state, down in a corner, beating on his chest, and all he can get out is, God, have mercy upon me. He may still reek with the smell of a sinful life, and yet he's saying, God, have mercy on me. And the Pharisees over here saying, God... I'm here, my daily duty, I, I'm being faithful. God, I thank you, I'm not like that. And the Lord says, no, the one that went down more righteous, the one that was greater was the one who understood his position. Wow. Can I tell you, I better never walk into the house of God, whether I'm preaching or not preaching, whether I'm pastor or not. I better never walk into the house of God without understanding that I am nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. If I've ever been to the house of God and stood and lifted my hands, if I've ever been to the altar and let the tears flow, if I've ever got out in the aisle and worshiped, why should this day be any different than any other day? I'm still the same flesh and he's still the same God and I still need him as much today as I've ever needed him. I can't mature past the place. Can I tell you, it's all right. It's all right to come into the house of God and, and let your emotions go a little bit. It's all right to be overcome with the awesomeness of who he is and, and the gravity of the reality that you need God in your life. We've got to have humility. 
we worship in a Pentecostal service. We're not worshiping because we're trying to be boastful or we're trying to do it for a show. If you're doing that, you miss the whole point. You better sit down. You better never move. That's not what it's about. But when we get out and we worship our God, it's as if we are David and we're humbling ourselves. We're taking off our, our kingly garments and say, I don't care who's watching. I don't care what position God has elevated me to. I don't care what successes I have. He is still worthy of my praise and my heart and my soul. Humility, humility before God. You need a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost. You need a dose of humility in your life because pride will keep you from a breakthrough every time. Let humility get inside of your life. Go to, go to Luke chapter 9. Let's just go back a couple of chapters here. In Luke chapter number 9, and um, this is, this is the powerful statement where he tells us to take up our cross. But I want to look at the context in which he gives it. Now, this is Luke's recording. I think in Matthew, it may be chapter 16, where it's the great confession of faith. And I think I'm starting at verse number 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, whom do the people say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, Elias. Others say, the old prophets. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter said, the Christ of God. We know the, the fuller explanation. There's a little bit fuller explanation of what happens here in Matthew chapter 16. But Luke is recording the same things and he goes on and he straightly charged them and commanded them that they tell no man that thing, the fact that he was the Christ. Don't go out. Don't go out and tell them yet because, because my, this isn't the point. This is not, now is not the moment to leave me and go preach. Stay here. And he goes in verse 22 and he's saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. He's telling him, don't go out and preach that I'm the Christ. Don't go out and tell him. You know it. You've got the revelation, but right now you've got to stay because there's some things that have got to happen. I've got to suffer. I've got to be rejected and I've got to be slain. And then immediately look at what happens. Luke puts this right in here where he's going on in verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What is he doing? He is putting on them the thing, the very thing that he tells them he is getting ready to do. I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be slain. Now, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. Pride says I can have it both. Pride says I can do both. I can have one foot. I can follow after the Lord. But I can still have the world too. I can have all of those things. Can I tell you when I'm talking about humbling yourself. I'm talking by, by that. We mean by humility. We mean being submitted to the death of a cross. Being submitted to a death of a cross, to the death of a cross. Humility, humility before God. Okay, God, I'm going to follow after you. You did this, so I've got to walk with you. I'm going I'm to follow after you. I'm going to be submitted to the death of the cross. I've got to be willing 
How many people have thrown away ministries because they loved God, but they would not be submitted to the death of the cross because they had things that they were holding on to? Things in this world. People that have lost their salvation because they were holding on to things in this world. I'm going to tell you, God will never ask you to give up something that he will not bless you, sustain you, uh, 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 make a way for you, provide for you. You never give something up in this world and, and the exchange or the trade is not, you don't get the better end of the bargain. So my question is this, what is it that we resist? What is it that we resist? Because by this humility, we're talking about a death of the cross. Can I tell you, flesh does not like to die. You don't want to die. Die daily. I don't want to die. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Your, your children are never taught the word N-O. They learn that on their own. And when you ask them to do something, <laughs> they say no. I don't want to do that. And then you try to make them do something and they rebel. What do they do? They rebel. And they do all kinds, they'll, they'll, they'll do whatever. And they'll act out, lash out, whatever. That's what they do. Because in their little young, immature state, they believe that they have the right to do what they want to do. I'm going to do my own thing. They don't hate you. They love you. But they don't want you telling them what to do. And when they act out and they disobey, in essence, they are saying, no, I'm in charge of my own life. This is what Christ has asked us to do. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. So my question is, what is it that we resist? What is it that we say we would never do? Because could it be that God, now I always say, don't ever say never with the Lord. Because the moment you say never is the moment God says, okay, now I've got to see how much they love me. Right? You say, God, I will never. Well, God's going to say, okay, now I've got to see how much they love me. If they really love me with everything, would you do this? Ah. So never say never. But what is it? Or are you really? Now, there, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can't wish would never happen. And there aren't things that, okay, God, I hope that never happened. I hope, you know, you could come up with, you could come up with all kinds of hypotheticals of, oh, God, I hope, hope he never, I don't know how I could get through that. I don't know how I could do that. I don't know how I could make that. But if you truly are living in a state of humility, you, you live with a yes in your spirit. God, I don't know what you're asking of me, but I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Brother, Brother Caraway, you guys are in massive transition right now. How long did you take to drive here tonight? Hour and a half, praise God. And uh, I'm not picking on him, but we're excited about what God is doing in their life. But you told me that a few years ago, God had blessed you guys and 
Your father-in-law is a big builder, and you went ahead and built your wife her dream home. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Now, you weren't, you weren't not, I'm not putting words in, in his testimony, but you weren't arrogant and saying, God, I'll never do this. But all of a sudden, God begins moving on your heart. And you were at a point, at least, I don't know, but you could have said, well, God, I don't want to do that because I, I, I've got, I, I can't let go of this. But you've got to be willing to have a yes in your spirit. Humility says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I'm going to tell you, there is a confidence that comes when you've said yes to the will of God, when you've said yes to the word of God, when you've been obedient to what God has asked of you. And God sometimes, he, he don't put things on everybody, but sometimes specifically he'll come and he'll talk to you about something. It's a way to serve. It's a way to give. It's, it's your way to serve. It's your way to give. It's your purpose and your place in the kingdom that God has for you. Not the person on the, on, sitting in the seat next to you or the pew in front of you, but what you, and you can't, you can't deflect that off in the service. You go to church and after a while, you know it's like there's a target and God's just, he's just picking away at it and it's right there. And at a point, you've got to come down and say, God, everything is on the table. Whatever, God, here is my whole life. I'm not reserving any anything and whatever you are you're, you're the one that that can move the pieces however you want God and I'll do whatever you want me to do that's the death of the cross until you've had your Isaac moment if you're reading your Bible this year if you started out you probably recently have read through uh, Abraham's story where he takes his only son and he goes up onto the mountain and he takes Isaac and he goes to sacrifice Isaac Isaac was the promised child. Isaac was a miracle child. Abraham and Sarah, both of them were beyond the age of childbearing. Both of them were on beyond the age of childbearing. I can confirm that to you in both the, the Genesis account and Paul talks about that later on. Both of them. It was not just Sarah that was too old, but Sarah said, my husband is too old. Both of them were beyond that. And then Sarah said, God, uh, uh, or Abraham, this thing isn't working out. It's been a long time, so why don't you take my handmaiden and why don't you marry her and maybe God will do the miracle. And, and, and Sarah, she, she rejected or, 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 or lost faith, let's say, in the promise of God. And so Abraham goes and has this relationship with Hagar and Ishmael is born and Ishmael is a miracle because Abraham could not have children. But he's half miracle and half not miracle. He's half part of the spirit, but he's also of the flesh because it makes sense. And Abraham sort of messed everything up. And God comes along to Abraham and says, Abraham, this is not what I said. I'm keeping my word. And God says, no. Or Abraham says, no, God. He says, here's Ishmael. Let's just let Ishmael be the promised child. God says, no, that's not how that works. And he says, it's going to come. The way I said it's going to come. It came through resurrection seed in both Abraham and Sarah. It was an absolute miracle. Both of them beyond. And God says, I'm doing the miracle. And so God gives him the promised child. I'm going to tell you, the greatest promises God has in your life will not be realized or achieved by you manipulating things to get them to come to pass. And we get in our life and we try to manipulate things. And okay, God told me this or God spoke this, so I'm going to try to manipulate. Don't try to manipulate. If God says it, just leave your hands off. Let God bring it to pass. And God brought it to pass. It was everything he had hoped for. And now God says, 
take your son, your only son. That was not God knocking on Ishmael. God loved Ishmael. That was not. What he was saying was he was recognizing his promise, his heir, his sole heir. Take your only son, the one to whom all of your posterity is invested. Take him up to an altar, and I want you to sacrifice everything. And Abraham goes up. What happens? What does it look like? What does your response look like when God gets you to a place where he asks for everything? Are you willing to say yes? The only way we can say yes is by humility. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So I ask you this. You know that you have been truly humbled yourself when you have totally been stripped of pride and all that is left is the reality of your vulnerability and your need for a Savior, for a God. Then every action will hang upon the word of the Lord and you will run to follow his will and to be ordered in your steps of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3. He gives us what they call the Beatitudes at the beginning of the great Sermon on the Mount. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, the very first word he says, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, here's the beautiful thing about grace and mercy is that we can possess the kingdom of heaven. Today, right now, 2020, in the midst of all our misery, we can possess the kingdom of heaven. And with the kingdom of heaven comes all of that confidence, comes all of that joy, comes all of that hope, comes all of that promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I wasn't talking about being poor. That's, that's an old English kind of phraseology there, term being poor in spirit, being humble, humility, humility. There's a confidence that comes when you have humility. We're going to talk about that next week. But there is a confidence that comes when you have humility, knowing that I'm possessing the kingdom of God in my life. Are you achieving your fullness? Are you reaching the, the, uh, the full potential that God has for you? Or is pride and ego hijacking your life? These are things that we have to pray about. These are questions we have to ask. Would you stand together with me tonight? I, I know this isn't a, a, a series where you just issue amens and you want to stand up and clap your hands. <laughs> this is one more for personal reflection is saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. This is one, though, that agrees with your spirit, or if it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's hitting like that, like that chisel and hammer to the rock that will not be broken. But God, I need to be broken before you today. I, I, anybody want the kingdom of heaven in your life? Come on, anybody want the the, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord. I want those things. Can we lift our hands right now? Come on, can you just invite the Lord? Amen.